Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome. Welcome to this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for joining us on this incredible Tuesday. Uh, there's so much going on in the world. I want to talk about the U.S. elections. Off to the races, folks. It's all happening. It's all happening in Iowa with the caucuses. We'll talk about that. Trump, the DeSantis meltdown, all of that is all fair game today on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to do a heavy focus, though, on two things. One of them is uh, U.S. politics, specifically corruption. We're going to be delving into the Biden crime family corruption in a very deep and profound way uh, with our guest in the second hour. We're going to be joined by journalist Simona Mangianti, who's going to be joining us on the live link. She's just done an incredible interview with a Ukrainian whistleblower, a former MP named Andrei Durkash. And anybody who has seen this interview uh, has been blown away by it. I've spoken to a bunch of people. Uh, we've also reposted this uh, up at 21stCenturyWire.com. Uh, it's a bombshell interview. It contains quite a few res revelations in it that I think uh, will have a bearing on this election cycle uh, and definitely things that influenced the 2020 election. So you can kind of see the nexus here of Biden corruption, how this is not only is uh, affecting the political system in Ukraine, but definitely has an effect even on our elections in the US, uh, which is why Congress is investigating this uh, so closely. We'll talk to Simona in the second hour to get a better fix on that. In the first hour, we're gonna be joined by geopolitical analyst, George Samuele. He's gonna be joining us from Central Europe to talk about a couple of things. There's a lot happening in Ukraine. Things are shifting very quickly right now and not for the better, for the regime in Kiev. We're going to talk about the Gonzalo Lira story. Very sad news. Uh, the reports of the death of American YouTuber, uh, citizen journalist Gonzalo Lira, uh, and the backlash from that and what sort of ramifications that might have. Politically, there don't seem to be any in Washington, but for citizen journalists and also for other people in Ukraine who have interest in this story uh, and around Europe, a lot of people knew Gonzalo. Uh, they interacted with him. We'll talk to George about the peculiar dynamic and the dilemma that Washington finds itself in with this story. Also, developments in Ukraine. George is going to weigh in heavily on the geopolitical shifts going on there. Looking forward to that in the first hour. George is a fantastic guest. Now, um, we're going to talk about the Iowa caucuses right now. And I, I, I wasn't expecting this result. Uh, some people were, I wasn't, uh, I thought it would be closer, uh, just because of the amount of money that they plowed into the DeSantis campaign and Nikki Haley. I thought, uh, somehow they'd manufacture a better result in this, but as it turns out, U.S. presidential election, of course, is off and running. Yesterday was the first primary. Uh, not a typical one-man, one-vote primary, as we spoke about yesterday. We explained the caucus system. Iowa is one of those uh, peculiar states. Uh, I believe Nevada is also one of these in the primary anyway. But uh, during the primary in the in the Iowa caucuses, they'll get together and have these meetings in all these different precincts in all the different counties uh, around the country, um, around that state in the Midwest. And the results are in Donald Trump historic blowout. 
51, 52 percent, something like that. Nearest second place, a distant second, Ron DeSantis at 20-something percent. Nikki Haley third with 20.1 percent. So that's interesting. Vivek Ramaswamy, 7 to 8 percent. Vivek Ramaswamy, the phenom, the young uh, mercurial uh, wonder kind, uh, he has dropped out of the race. So he'll be endorsing Donald Trump, and uh, Vivek will be taking his show on the road to stump for Trump, basically. He's already in New Hampshire, heading to New Hampshire. That's going to happen over the weekend. We'll see what the result is there. But this is a devastating blow for the Ron DeSantis campaign. Really bad. And I'll tell you why it's bad. Uh, they burned through upwards of $200 million. Never back down. That's a super PAC. The DeSantis campaign has been chewing through money. Like, where does this money come from? These donors have stepped up. Anything but Trump, anybody but Trump. They're trying to sort of construct something out of Ron DeSantis. I don't know. Where did the money go? Like, what do they do? They buy ads on uh, terrestrial TV or something that nobody nobody really watches anymore. I mean, where did the money, where did they blow the money? I think a lot of consultants got rich. I think a lot of ad buyers and uh, ad inventory salesmen and uh, video production companies uh, and internet influencers, uh, they basically plowed millions of dollars into the pockets of all these people. And what's the result? A distant second, like 30 points back. This is a devastating indictment for Team DeSantis, and I'd be surprised if Ron DeSantis doesn't drop out uh, after the New Hampshire primaries when he gets, he'll probably come in third. There's going to be a lot of tactical voting uh, in New Hampshire. I think it's probably some Democrats will be registering as independents for the primary just to vote for Haley, Nikki Haley. So Donald Trump is the favorite in New Hampshire. It's going to be much closer than the Iowa caucuses. But uh, nonetheless, that's uh, that's coming up in a few days. So that's when you see the sparks are really going to fly. And the media will cover this. It's pretty predictable how the media are going to cover this. They're going to say, well, look at this uh, combined vote of DeSantis and Nikki Haley. It's definitely a rebuke. The majority of Republicans have not voted for Trump. That's the way they're going to spin it. I'm just telling you right now, I, I know how the media behaves. I've learned to think like the media, especially during election cycles. Uh, these are some of the most unscrupulous, immoral individuals uh, in, in the mainstream media. The way they spin stuff is unbelievable. Uh, we saw Governor J.D. Pritzker from, from Illinois, a man that makes Chris Christie look like an Olympic athlete, go on MSNBC last night and literally straight to camera to Rachel Maddow saying that the result in Iowa is a rebuke of Trump's policies. So he's saying the collective votes of all these Republicans is a rejection of Trump. So Trump wins by a record-breaking margin, the Iowa caucuses. Never seen a blowout like this in history. And uh, people like Governor Pritzker, Democrat loyalist from Illinois, is basically saying this is a, a rebuke of Trump. It's just bizarre. So we're going to get more of this crazy spin. You thought all that went away from 2016, 2020, Trump derangement syndrome. No, no, no. It's still there. It's still latent. People are still suffering from it. And we, the people, are going to have to suffer from uh, a few more months of this. Uh, there'll be This is the way the coverage is going to go, unfortunately. So get used to it, folks. Um, but you could very well see for the first time in history 
I don't want to make any predictions, but Donald Trump could become the first U.S. presidential candidate to sweep 50 primary states on the Republican side. Just saying there's a strong possibility based on this latest result and the fact that there's not a field there. DeSantis will drop out after New Hampshire. I think he has to. They're going to run out of money. And the donors are going to be like, we need to put that money towards somebody else, maybe Haley. Ron DeSantis, for his own part, his only political survival move would be to drop out early, endorse Trump. Otherwise, I don't think he has a future in politics. Quite frankly, it's either that or straight to the boards of the military industrial complex or wherever else. Maybe he'll get a job at Disney. I don't know. But the 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 tact he's taken here is, I think, going to be devastating uh, for his career. And this is somebody that's very ambitious. Ron DeSantis believed that he was next in line to be president of the United States. He might get a shot at VP. Who knows? If he gets out early, endorses Trump, kisses the ring, who knows? Or he'll just, you know, become the next uh, Marco Rubio. There we are, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what happened with Iowa. So it's going to be interesting. Super Tuesday, that'll be interesting as well. South Carolina is going to be the big reveal for Nikki Haley if she can't carry her home state. If she can't carry her home state. But uh, Democrats have basically shot their own primaries to pieces. They've cha- they've rewritten the election rules. Just doesn't get a lot of press coverage. But for Democrats, it seems to be perfectly fine. Uh, they've write-in campaigns for Biden. They basically deep-sixed their primaries to prevent Robert F. Kennedy from running or any other opposition from challenging Biden. They just didn't want the optics, even if they couldn't beat Biden. That's how crazy and what low regard it seems like these days uh, hyper-partisans, especially Democrats, what low regard they have for tradition, electoral traditions in America. They're willing to destroy the whole system. Why? To get everybody to vote tactically against Trump's opponents. That will tighten the margin between Haley and Trump, no doubt about it, especially in New Hampshire. But is that going to net any real difference in some of those other key states, especially the southern states? And by the way, Trump's going to carry California for the Republican GOP primary. That's almost certain, believe it or not. So uh, I don't see where anybody else is going to win anything. That's just me. I'm just making a possible prediction there. Take it or leave it. But uh, that's what's happening in America. It's going to get weird. It's going to get wacky. We're going to bring on some uh, great pundits as well uh, to cover uh, this election cycle. So uh, look to see some of these characters drifting onto the stage of this program. We're going to be getting some of the best pollsters. We're going to be getting some of the best pundits. We'll bring them all in and get an objective analysis, not just in the tank for any party or candidate. We're going to get some great objective analysis as well. But, hey, we're calling balls and strikes. If it's a blowout, it's a blowout, and we're not going to change that. So no amount of spin can change that, as we're finding out now in America. When you're watching the mainstream media, it is absolutely jaw-dropping the way the coverage and the propaganda are going already during this election cycle. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Right now, however, let's take a break with TNT, Today's News Talk, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by a very special guest. Looking forward to a discussion with George Samuele on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stay right there.
TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago, while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2% you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT. Today's News Talk, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for rejoining us. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. I want to welcome onto the stage a very special guest, 
George Samueli is joining us. He's a geopolitical analyst based in Budapest, Hungary, joining us on the live link right now. George, thank you for coming on TNT this week. Yeah, it's always very good to be with you, Patrick. It's great to be with you as well, George. I'm sure uh, there's a lot we can talk about, certainly with the foreign policy front, the 2024 U.S. elections coming up. How is the situation in Ukraine going to bear down on the incumbent, especially the Biden administration? And how is this going to be playing out on the GOP side, which is getting thinner by the moment? Love to get your comment on that. But there was a story that did break, George, in the last couple of days, uh, which is an American uh, YouTuber, citizen journalist who uh, got a very big reputation over the last couple of years by being a major pundit on the Ukraine conflict. His name was Gonzalo Lira. And it was a reported that uh, he is, in fact, had died in captivity uh, in a Ukrainian prison, I believe, in 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 Kharkiv, Kharkiv, the city uh, in, in northeastern Ukraine. And his family also has weighed in on this publicly. Uh, there were calls for the U.S. government to do something that he was being wrongly detained for, basically having opinions that were against the Zelensky government. That's what was playing out over the last couple of months. And I know people in the State Department knew about it. It was brought up at uh, press press briefings there uh, within the State Department. A number of journalists have brought up the issue. It was acknowledged, but nothing was done, which was pretty incredible, George. I know that you, you also work with and have been on shows, uh, I, I don't know if side-by-side side with Gonzalo. What are your general thoughts on this, on him, and, and, and the latest news and how it's played out. Go ahead, George. Yes, um, Gon- Gonzalo appeared um, a few times on our uh, The Gaggle podcast that I do with uh, Peter that you have also appeared regularly on. So, And I also appeared on um, one of Gonzalo's uh, roundtables. Um, he was uh, an obviously a very intrepid <clears throat> uh, blogger, uh, YouTube uh, filmmaker. Uh, he was clearly... Uh, taking his life in his hands by um, openly defying the Ukrainian government. And um, he was arrested at a very early stage um, of the the war, I think sometime in the spring of 2022. And then he was uh, released um, after some time. And people were afraid that at the time that he may be dead. There were rumors that he was dead. And so that's why when uh, we heard the other day that he was dead. Um, and it was, I, I felt that well, we should be a little bit skeptical because this has happened before, but obviously now it has been uh, confirmed. Um, it, it is indeed absolutely shocking that uh, the U.S. State Department did nothing to protect the life of a uh, U.S. citizen. And particularly given that the U.S. citizen had um, issued uh, messages in which he had alleged that he was being tortured. You know, he said there were matchsticks that were stuck uh, into his um, eyes. Um, He also um, said that he was being extorted. They were trying to uh, squeeze money out of him and his family um, to secure his release. And this has now been confirmed again by his family that they were seeking something like $500,000 for his uh, release. So all of this was known by the State Department. And yet, um, to all intents and purposes, it did nothing. And we know it did nothing because had it wanted to do something, it could have done it. I mean, U- Ukraine is a wholly owned subsidiary of the United States. 
So all it would have taken is one telephone call from um, Anthony Blinken uh, to say, release this uh, American citizen, deport him uh, if you if you must. Um, but you know you can't go on uh, imprisoning him and torturing him particularly as he hasn't really done anything other than he has issued uh, videos um, that the, the government doesn't like. He hasn't committed any crimes. They just don't like his message. So um, for the administration just to sit on its hands and allow uh, an American citizen to be tortured to death in a, in the state of an ally. This isn't you know happening in Iran or somewhere where America has virtually no uh, diplomatic relations. This is in the state of an ally that is basically always on the phone uh, several times a day. So it it is a, a gross gross negligence on the part of the U.S. government. And on, uh, other than these um, few. Um, uh, citizen journalists like the Gray Zone and Max Blumenthal and the rest who have raised this issue of Gonzalo, none of the mainstream media has. They haven't. And the important thing is there was an opportunity to intervene and possibly save the life of this person. And, you know, where, where does the U.S. government stand on this? Because, George, I've grown up and you, you've watched U.S. politics over the years. There's always a big priority. You know, Washington will move quickly to save right. the life of even one American, right. be it a journalist, be it uh, a citizen. Even if they're in uh, a situation maybe that they shouldn't be in, the government right. will still move to secure their safety and release. I've seen it countless times over the years, George, especially if yeah. they are high profile pundit yeah. and Gonzalo Euro is very high profile so is this a case of that he had the wrong message George and in this uh era of power politics uh where it's all about who and whom and not the substance of the argument that they just decided well Gonzalo he's not really helping our cause so we'll just leave them there I mean is is that the level of crassness or was he uh was, was he a liability uh, to to Washington. I mean, how serious of a threat is someone like that to the United States? I don't see him as being any kind of a threat to the United States. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he had these uh, roundtables, um, um, but he was a part of a network of many um, journalists and uh, commentators and analysts. So um he didn't stand out from anyone else i mean he's not you know didn't stand out from you know ray mcgovern or all the other people who would regularly appear um on those uh round tables i i think they just he had the wrong views and they just simply couldn't care less about him um they're, they're so wedded to zelensky and the uh the kiev regime that anyone who opposes it they just don't don't do anything about it i mean we we just as a, a, an example, I mean, the, the Kiev regime is engaging in open religious persecution. It's imprisoning priests. Um, it's shutting down churches, looting churches. And uh, the administration says nothing about it. Uh, you just, just nothing. It just couldn't, couldn't care less about this. So, um, you know, in, in this case, they just uh, said, well, it doesn't matter to us. Now, contrast that with how they've been responding to the case of the, the Wall Street Journal reporter who is uh, under arrest. He's um, charged with uh, espionage. And um, yeah, 
the administration has been talking nonstop about uh, this reporter. And even though in his case, in this reporter's case, obviously we don't know the details, uh, the charges are quite serious. I mean, they're saying he was, you know, he was in this um, um, arms factory town and he was asking all sorts of questions about uh, work schedules, production, uh, and so on. So these are serious matters. We're not prejudging the case or anything. Um, but at least there's substance here. <laughs> Unlike in the case of uh, Gonzalo Lira, where it's just his opinions. They just didn't like yeah. the, you know, the views he was expressing. But there's no case here that he, he was engaged in espionage or, uh, or, or anything else. On the Ukrainian side, I think the accusation, George, that I heard was that Gonzalo gave up Ukrainian troop positions in, in Kharkiv. I, I can't see how that is credible because right now there's so many live maps and live blogs on the internet. You can literally look at every single piece of armor, every single soldier, practically track them by the minute with open source data on the internet. How could Gonzalo yeah. possibly? I mean, they, so that's completely ridiculous and it seemed like i don't know he 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 did say that a lot of money was extorted from him um yes. before beforehand so while he was in prison he said a, a, a fortune basically i, I would think it would be north of fifty thousand dollars at the very least easily, easily so, more, more than that yeah but now yeah, they, we, we, what we're hearing from his lawyer is that they wanted five hundred thousand um and i you know i have no idea how his family could come up with that kind of money but this was clearly extortion um and and clearly torture i mean the the fact that he actually made these claims hey there was sticking matches into my eyes um you know e even if let's say he's just exaggerating it wasn't as bad as that what did the government do about it? The government was saying, well, they would at the very minimum get on the phone and say, well, what, what the hell's going on here? What, what, what are you doing here? Uh, and again, say, you know, you don't like this guy, just throw him out of the country. Um, but don't don't imprison him for month after month and then uh, and then torture him. And, this, you know, he's, he dies in his mid 50s and uh, his pneumonia. Um, that's a treatable condition. So this is clearly sadistic uh, neglect to allow him to die of pneumonia. This, not, this isn't oh, terminal cancer or whatever. This is pneumonia where a man in his 50s, clearly he just wasn't getting any uh, proper uh, medical attention. Therefore, it's entirely uh, consistent with what he had been saying uh, from the messages that he'd been able to get out, um, particularly during the time that he made his um, attempt to escape and was then uh, recaptured. So, um, you know, again, if if this had been, let's say, the Trump administration, and there was somebody else, uh, you know, from, from um, some some other country, and and the Trump administration had done so little to help out a an American citizen, the media would be going absolutely crazy. But instead, you know, the attitude is, hey. He got what was coming to him. So, um, it, you know, again, it shows, as in the case of Julian Assange, which is also gets very little um, media attention, that, you know, well, if somebody does, you know, wrong things, has wrong ideas, you know, wrong thing, we just don't care too much about him. No, that's that. That is the atmosphere. That is the sort of hyper partisan atmosphere as well. He he was he was derided by the Daily Beast. Yes. Uh, I even think he was doxed. He was doxed by the Daily Beast. I mean, so those journalists in America 
from the, the those pub, uh, publications. Uh, I don't want to say journalistic publications with regards to the Daily Beast because that would be pushing the envelope. Okay, um, they they have they have a lot to answer for in being kind of an accessory to getting him imprisoned in the first place, um, and also the bizarre, uh, you know, self-proclaimed Ukrainian military spokesperson, the trans. Oh yeah, uh, the, the, the weird. Yeah, that's right. And he was gleeful. You know, absolutely yeah. giddy with excitement um, and threatening his life, uh, and uh, and and pretty much saying that yeah, see what happens to him is going to happen to others. He was a uh, you know really horrific, and he was a spokesperson. He wasn't just simply some independent uh, blogger. He was actually a spokesperson for the uh, the Kiev regime. And 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 you're absolutely right. I mean that the way. Uh, the Daily Beast and others uh, presented it as if what he he's getting what is coming, and again, that's a it's it's a recalls the the, the many years of the uh, uh, captivity of Julian Assange back when he was um, uh, first uh, in the uh, Ecuador embassy, and then uh, and then subsequent to that, the the arrest and the imprisonment um, in Belmarsh in the UK. I mean, all of the stories in the media were running. Oh, he was a rapist. Uh, he, you know that there's no no threat at all to his uh, to his life. The United States doesn't want to get his hands on him. He's just afraid to face the rape charges in Sweden. And then there were all the stories about what a, what a pig he was in the Ecuador embassy, you know, and, and so on. You know, doesn't even have to uh, go go through them. I mean, that was just so revolting these accusations. Um, and 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 that that of course helped helped the the U.S. government's persecution of him because they said, well. People don't really care much about him. We can do what we like because ultimately there isn't going to be uh, too much of a fuss about him. Yeah, I think that uh, spokesperson, Sarah Ashton, That's Sarah it. Ashton Cirillo, a.k.a. Michael Cirillo, uh, yeah. a.k.a. Big Big Mike, uh, as he's known by some. Um, yeah, that's just bizarre to say the least. But, you know, the last video he made, uh, the one where he was uh, attempting to cross over into the oh, Hungarian... Hungary border. He made a video. He said he was five kilometers away from the border, and he said that he'd been beaten and had suffered edema and uh, inflammation uh, because he'd been beaten so hard in the chest by other prisoners. So the guards or the SBU were getting other inmates to to rough him up, um, right. maybe promising them something. But what he said about those injuries actually uh, does line up and uh, co coincide with the final cause of death because he's talking about edemia, possible pleurisy um, right. exacerbated by pneumonia. He would have been in need of a, a major medical intervention, maybe antibiotics or thoracentesis or something. Uh, yeah. But it was, as you said, George, completely treatable. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, George, as well. This also draws comparisons to another story, which is the story of Sergei Magnitsky. Um, yeah. The parallels there, um, who also, uh, by all accounts, even some Russian accounts, uh, was uh, you know suffered neglect in terms of getting medical treatment while he was a, but but the way they blew that story up in the West, I mean, they even named legislation after it. Um, yeah. And this this situation here, nobody cares, nobody okay. cares. I mean, it, it to me, it's an indictment of the media of the the, the, the the hyper partisan environment that's been constructed around these issues and the fact that people just are putting politics over principle. I think this is one of the main problems that has caused this situation to happen. Um, and like you said, George, it's uh, tragic. Um, yeah. Gonzalo was living life on the, the edge. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right. Because in the case of Magnitsky, I mean, obviously it's terrible uh, what happened to him, you know, his death. But I think he was, he was clearly um, suffering from uh, uh, poor health. But I mean, but nonetheless, the way the media presented it, like, for instance, they described him as a lawyer. He was uh, Bill Browder's lawyer. He was, of course, nothing of the sort. He was not a lawyer. He was never a lawyer. Uh, he was Bill Browder's um, accountant. And then and he, he, he was in prison because he was accused of uh, all kinds of accounting tricks uh, that both he and Browder had engaged in in order to uh, screw the Russian government out of taxes. Again, didn't, you know, that the, the case against him didn't come to trial. But nonetheless, uh, the case against Browder is very, very compelling. And we know that from the video deposition that you can find online when he was actually uh, uh, testifying with an American lawyer. And he was making all manner of very, very damaging admissions against himself. He was forced to. Um, and that's that was what he and Magnitsky were engaged in, you know, all kinds of extremely creative accounting um Employees to avoid paying taxes, so that so the, you know, but the media presented it as, as if somehow Magnitsky was this human rights lawyer, and he was in prison and died in prison as a kind of a martyr to his fighting it for human rights. I mean, you know, not, not nothing could be further from the truth. No, that's that's true. It's uh, a lot of inconsistency with some of these stories. Um, I want to get into uh, also the the Ukraine story in general, George. Uh, we're going to go to break in a couple of minutes, but uh, there's been a few developments uh, before we go to break. Uh, can you comment on the current situation right now politically in Kiev? And uh, there's a lot of admissions coming out, a lot of revelations about peace deals that were ignored over the last couple of years, opportunities to get some kind of resolution with Russia. All this stuff was deep sixed. Um, what is the current situation right now um, in Kiev, George? Well, the, the, the tragedy of it was goes, yeah, that that war could have been uh, settled right at the beginning. It could have just ended uh, in March and April. I mean, we, you know, we, I mean, we've had many, many uh, statements already, you know, <laughs> over a long period of time. You know, we had the statements from uh, Turkey's foreign minister who said, yeah, we were very close to an agreement in uh, Istanbul. Uh, we know uh, and we knew from the, the start that when Boris Johnson uh, flew into Kiev, um, he essentially went in with that message. Don't uh, sign any kind of agreement with Russia. We've got Russia on the run. We can win this war against Russia. That has been the, the consistent um, Western theme. So whereas the, U U the Ukrainians were ready to do at least a sensible thing then, but instead they were kind of pushed to go along with this plan, which has led to the complete destruction of uh, their country. I mean, we don't know at this stage, you know, what, what the level of the casualties is, but it is obviously of an absolutely staggering, horrific uh, number. And uh, and so what we've heard in the last few weeks have just been confirmation of what we already knew, which was a, a very good deal for Ukraine was available. Not a, not a particularly good deal for Russia, but a very good deal for Ukraine uh, was uh, uh, available. All Ukraine then had to do essentially was simply to say uh, no to NATO, and that and that would have uh, that would have secured them, you know, um, you know the, the Donbass, and you know even you know Crimea. They could have worked out some some kind of a, an agreement. 
Um, but instead, through this in their encouragement, I mean, you know, basically the country has been destroyed. No, it's, that's that's looking more and more like what actually happened, and sort of people are starting to realize this. It's starting to hit home. The penny has dropped. It took two years to drop, but it's finally dropped, at least for some people anyway. We'll talk about whether it's dropped in Washington or not. Or are they still off in uh, the alternative reality uh, that is the beltway on this, uh, the fog of foreign policy? We'll, we'll talk about that after the break. I'm with George Samuel, a geopolitical analyst based in Hungary, global Policy Institute. We'll get this and a whole lot more on the other side, so stay with us. We'll be right back. Sometimes life can be overwhelming, and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, Make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong. Some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, Use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back, folks. Welcome back to this live broadcast. We're now our number two of the show here on Tuesday, TNT, Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Ennington, your host. Joining us on the live link right now is George Samuel. He's a geopolitical analyst based in Central Europe, uh, in Hungary. He's also with the Global Policy Institute and also the co-host of The Gaggle, which is a fantastic podcast, great discussions about all these things, including what we just discussed uh, regarding Gonzalo Lira uh, in the previous segment. George, now let's talk about where the rubber is going to meet the road. Uh, the 2024 election cycle, it's off to the races. The Iowa caucuses have convened all of the little confabs in the 99 counties of this Midwestern state that nobody really pays attention to except once every four years. <laughs> yeah. and, and a historic uh, blowout uh, by Donald Trump of the GOP field. So let's talk about the GOP field. And I want to talk about in relation to foreign policy and in relation to Ukraine, how you see these issues uh, affecting the race. And then let's talk about the Biden administration in 2024. Um, is Ukraine a noose around the neck of this White House? We know that Gaza has become a noose around their neck as well. Uh, but let's talk about the GOP field first. We've got some very strident characters still in the field, people who love a good war, like Nikki Haley from South Carolina. What's your assessment so far? 
Well, I think you 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 summed it up very well. I think um, Nikki Haley is um, the the neocons candidate. She's the the Republican Party establishment candidate. Um, she didn't do terribly well in Iowa. She was expected to come in second. She came in third, but nonetheless, she's still expected to do well in New Hampshire. Um, and if she does reasonably well, at least comes you know, within, uh, you know, let's say 10 points of uh, Trump, then I think the, uh, the 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 party, all the neocons, interventionists, um, uh, will rally around her and the donors, and they will push her as the uh, the neocon alternative uh, to Trump. And and then they can just go on, you know, giving giving her enough money just to make it a horse race. Um, going into the convention. Um, I think DeSantis will probably um, fade away if he doesn't do terribly well in New Hampshire. He really doesn't want to get go to South Carolina and then to Florida and get humiliated there. So I think he probably will drop out um, if he doesn't do well in uh, New Hampshire. And then so she'll be the alternative. And she almost certainly will not win the nomination, but she will be in a very strong position for 2028, because she got into this race, the other party heavyweights, or Ted Cruz, um, Josh Hawley, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, um, all of the people who are you know, a potential presidential contenders, they didn't get into this race. She got in, and she did reasonably well. Uh, certainly, she she beat all expectations. Her, her candidacy was initially regarded as a joke. She'll be in a very strong position in 2028, and then essentially you're going to have a uh, a pure neocon, a, a George W. Bush Republican, who could be the uh, the, the front runner um, uh, for 2028. Um, but of course, there are all sorts of unknowns as far as this election is concerned, which is um, how will um, the various criminal indictments um, of Trump um, affect the uh, the general election? Um, because at least one of those cases will probably be decided upon. The, the case, the January 6th case in D.C., will probably be decided upon sometime before the election. It will almost certainly result in a conviction of uh, Trump and how that will affect the election. I mean, so far, the indictments haven't hurt him. It's nonetheless a, a possibility that a criminal conviction may uh, for some people uh, to hesitate about uh, voting for Trump. I don't know, George. I've seen some T-shirts in Iowa of Trump's uh, mugshot uh, when he did the perp walk, and oh, it's yeah. literally the best-selling T-shirt. Like Trump supporters are wearing, they're almost brandishing it with pride. He's been like well and truly martyred, George. It's almost like I think the convictions and the indictments were actually the secret weapon because his campaign was flagging a bit in the polls last spring, if you remember. And then when those indictments came in, boom, you saw the support just shoot up. I mean, is that something that the Democrats were anticipating? I mean, is this some secret conspiracy by design or have they just pulled the ultimate own goal uh, with this? Uh, I think, it's, the, the, I, I think yeah. it's more the own goal. I mean, the, the problem that they had was that they overplayed their hand, uh, which you know people often do. If they just settled on one case against him um then that might have uh you know that might have been more compelling well, all right when well, you did this so that will take it but by going in for four 
separate cases, four different jurisdictions. And then, and as if that wasn't enough, then they, they tried to get him off the ballot um, using the, uh, the 14th Amendment. And then if, if, as if that wasn't enough, then they brought a kind of a civil suit in, um, uh, in New York State in order to take his money and property away. Um, so, you know, they, they kind of really overplayed their hand. And of course, then Trump can say, hey, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm being crucified. I mean, they're just coming after me because I'm a threat to them. And it's a compelling argument. They say, yeah, I mean, why else would they be coming up? They, they wouldn't be coming after him if he'd said after 2020, that's it, I'm done. Uh, you know, I'm retiring from politics. I mean, you know, you could be absolutely certain that they would never have gone after him because of that. it's it's the very fact that he decided he was going to come back, that they uh, they brought all of the guns in. But it's it's too much. It's excessive. And, and 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 particularly as the cases that they're bringing against him are cases that have never been brought against a, a, a former president. I mean, what you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, the, the for instance that he has his own secrets with him um, when he leaves the White House. And of course, every president has walked away with uh, classified documents uh, uh, from from the White House. They're his documents. I mean, it's, it's allowed by law. Uh, but it's, you know, I mean, do we really want to go through Obama's basement, see what documents he walked away with, or George W. Bush, what documents he walked away with? It's nonsensical. I mean, it's, it's a, the whole idea that bringing this against Trump and then suggesting he was engaged in some espionage when he could have done it during the four years he was in power. I mean, if he really wanted to, to sell sell the country's secrets, he could have done it quite quite openly while he was uh, in the Oval Office. So it's obviously comes across as as a special case against uh, Trump. So on the, on just quickly, quickly, I want to go to the Biden side on this, but on the GOP side, the Republican primaries, foreign policy, three big pieces, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, China, Taiwan. So it seems like the Ukraine one has been pushed to third place in the GOP conversation. It's Israel first, China second, need to be tough on China. And then Ukraine, it's almost like, ah, uh, we don't really want to talk about that right now. It used to be, we need to push back the Russians. That's not happening. So, you know, how do you see this one shaping up? And because this is this is bound to change if there's any new revelations or any, any new activity on the Ukrainian-Russian front. Go ahead, George. No, they, 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 and there could certainly be all sorts of uh, changes. But what's interesting with the, the three um, issues you raised, there's more or less agreement within the GOP on the issue of China and on the issue of uh, Israel-Palestine. I mean, all you know, Trump and uh, his opponents, they're all basically very gung-ho about Israel and you know, generally very hostile to China. The one area in which there is disagreement is in Ukraine. Uh, Nikki Haley, she's you know all in. Um, in fact, you know she accuses Biden of not doing enough for Ukraine. Uh, mind you, she she also uh, accuses Biden of not doing enough for Israel. So, uh, so that, that she's consistent there. But uh, Ukraine is the one where there is a uh, a difference of opinion. And of course, there's all sorts of things that can happen between now and the election on Ukraine. And I do expect things to happen. Because, I mean, as, as I've argued, though people disagree with me, I do think NATO will try to induct Ukraine uh, into NATO at the July summit. You know, the 75th birthday party, this will be this big event, uh, and this will be NATO's 75th birthday present to itself. 
we will get Ukraine in, at least the part of Ukraine that um, uh, isn't uh, lost to Russia. And, and then that, you know, who knows what the effect will be uh, of that. But this is a very reckless administration. Biden is a very reckless president. And, uh, and I think they won't pass up this opportunity to make some grand historic gesture, even if it leads to uh, a catastrophe. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's something to look forward to. Also, on the Democratic side, as you know, there's no Democratic primaries to speak of. Uh, they managed to get rid of Robert F. Kennedy, managed to get rid of the whole primary process together. I don't know what's going on on that side. Um, but so Ukraine's a major noose around the neck of the White House financially. Um, it's not a winnable conflict. Uh, it can only really get worse going forward. And you have this congressional effort to impeach Joe Biden on corruption. And a lot of the corruption that they're flagging up in these investigations is related to Ukraine. So this adds another dimension to Ukraine. I mean, this is literally the uh, the, the reputation, the legacy of the Biden administration. And I'm going to say, George, the whole Democratic Party is actually resting on this. They want it to go away, but it's not going away. I mean, there's just too much evidence there and there's whistleblowers coming forward. You got Andre Durkash. We'll be talking about uh, a recent interview he did with uh, journalist uh, Simona Mangianti uh, in the second hour. But uh, what, what kind of, uh, is, is there, is there a, an exit out of this or is it is it uh, sandbag the impeachment investigation, George? What's gonna happen here? I there is obviously an exit, which is the uh, that to come to some kind of an agreement um, on uh, Ukraine. I mean, some you know basically uh, revive some Helsinki uh, 2.0 kind of revival of the the 1975 um, Helsinki Final Accord, in which everybody's security concerns are taken into account, and something is worked out on Ukraine. The Biden administration will never never go down that path. It's absolutely determined to pursue this war as long as there are enough Ukrainians to go on being sent um, to the, uh, the the battlefront. Um, and so it, it, I think it is an absolute disaster uh, for the administration. There's no there are no positives at all. They're, they get attacked by the Republicans under Trump. And, uh, and, and, and you know, ultimately, it is very dangerous for the United States. The United States is getting itself into uh, a confrontation with a nuclear superpower, and uh, and you know, but Biden it doesn't seem to relent. Yeah, however, it's politically not a winner for him. Uh, but the same th applies to the, the situation of Israel and Gaza. It's politically not a winner for him. Um, the Republicans attack Biden for not doing enough for Israel. Whatever he does, it's never enough for Israel. But his own base is obviously very unhappy um, by, by the fact that uh, he is enabling this uh, absolute horror uh, in, in Gaza. And he's simply not willing to do what he could do, just as we were talking about Gonzalo Lira, what you could easily do, get on the phone to Kiev in this case, Get on the phone to Netanyahu and say, enough is enough. We just can't take this anymore in the way that uh, uh, President Reagan did to uh, Menachem Begin um, at the time of, in 1982. Um, we just say, look, we can't, or, you know, or James Baker, you know, who, who cracked down on um, 
uh, on Israel, you know, said we're not we're not providing you with any more loan guarantees as long as you keep building settlements in defiance mm -hmm. of U.S. policy. So other presidents have done this. I mean, it was already a long time ago, um, but Biden was never going to do that. And so essentially the U.S. is directly responsible for the horrors taking place in Gaza. And I think that it's upsetting his base. He's going to lose votes. People are just not going to vote um uh for for uh, uh biden but i some reason um, they are they are so wedded ideologically to these uh, uh, uh positions that nothing whatever is going to shift them that's why th their only remedy is how can we destroy trump i mean they don't have any other message to american voters other than we, trump is terrible trump is hitler trump is a dictator uh trump will uh you know in, in, in introduce a concentration camp um and we have to you know get him off the ballot do something with it put him in prison but we can't allow people to vote for him yeah it's either it's either get you know attack trump get, get rid of trump or escalate the war like these are the only two options but it's interesting We've got a couple minutes left george i'll give you the final call on this but it just seems to me if we if we pull the string george back to 2014 no to 2012 to 2013 the amount of activity that joe biden did as a vice president for Barack Obama in Ukraine, the amount of business, it looks like side hustles galore with his son Hunter, Burisma, there's the reverse gas scandal, there's bribery uh, allegations that have come up in the uh, the, the FBI uh, recordings as well. So, I mean, it seems like the, the Democrats had to put him into power to cover up that whole debacle. Then the first, the, 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 the Trump impeachment one was about covering that up, saving Biden, binding run, running was to bury all that, escalating the war in Ukraine was to bury all that. It just seems like one crisis was to cover up the previous crisis. Have we not seen this pattern before, George, in U.S. foreign policy interventions? Yeah, I, you're, you're absolutely right, because if you recall, immediately after the, uh, the seizure of power in Maidan, these people, this uh, this Democratic Party uh, uh, figures, um, such as Hunter Biden, uh, such as John Kerry's um, uh, stepson, they moved into Kiev and got themselves all of these uh, very lucrative uh, positions. And this was, you know, this this went on, and they were essentially just stealing, you know, <laughs> left and right uh, from Ukraine. And you're absolutely right. Some of this was known. Um, by uh, by journalists, and they, they sort of reported it in a in a half-hearted sort of way. But they they did report um, this, uh, you know, the, what Hunter Biden was doing at Burisma and so on. Um, but they had to then uh, cover this up when you know Trump, I, I think, in a very reasonable way, uh, went to uh, Zelensky and said, "Well, if, you know, can you just find out what the hell the Obama administration was up to?" Um, in Ukraine, what, what, which is the responsibility of any U.S. president? You know, what what are we, you know, in for? What what have we got ourselves on the hook for? Uh, and and then he told Zelensky, basically, whatever you find out, you know, tell um, the Attorney General. The Democrats, and they're very clever like this, they turned it around and made it um, as if somehow this is that Trump had behaved in, you know, in some horrific uh, way. Incidentally, even on the election interference, the, the Democrats who made that fraudulent story about Russian election interference in 
2016. Because the, the real story was Ukrainian election interference in 2016 yeah. because the Ukrainians oh. went all in to try to prevent uh, Trump from winning. You know, you had... That's um, that's another rabbit hole, George, that we, we don't have time to go down, but you, you've opened up a, a new front of discussion there. Hopefully we can continue this. George Samuel, Global Policy Institute, geopolitical analyst, host of The Gaggle. Great podcast. Thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Thank you very much, Patrick. I really enjoyed it. Here he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is George Samuel. Follow him on X, Twitter, 